0: message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at wwwcorner or by subscribing to our podcast. You open your Bibles to Psalms 23.5. Uh, we're almost at the conclusion of this very familiar um, psalm and yet this is the, the, the part that this one verse is probably the most unfamiliar. It's not that we wouldn't be able to recite it. It's just one of those, what does that mean? you know? And so uh, I want to share that with you this morning. Uh, one more prayer request for our missions at Pioneer uh, Community Church is this week they have uh, a gathering of students. This is out in Utah. And you're talking about a place, you know, we don't think, okay, yeah, Morocco may be 99.9% non-Christian, uh, you know, non-Christian. but we don't think about places here in our own know, in the States, and yet in Utah, you're going to find such a small percentage of of confessing believers. Uh, And so uh, pray for Pioneer Community Church, Barry Smith and and his family, as they go out. It's a special week because they have students there from a home-sponsoring church that have come out, and let's just pray that their work would be very, very profitable this week. Uh, I hold in my hand something that's pretty precious to me. Uh, Years ago, uh, in fact, it would have probably been almost 30 years ago, um, did a funeral for for a gentleman uh, that I had come to know that no longer was able to attend on a weekly basis at the church where I was pastoring uh, because he was in the Baptist Village in Waycross, if you're familiar with that. And uh, a saintly man, I had heard great stories. and, And about once a year we'd go down and visit Mr. Joe, And Mr. Joe had lived a long life and a very fruitful life, and yet it was a hard life. He didn't know his mom and his dad. Um, He had already lost his wife. He he was widowed. And and so it was just really sometimes, you know, you think this guy's going to be so sad. And when you went in to talk with Mr. Joe, there was always a smile on his face, and his favorite term was, my cup runneth over and my saucer too. And I, you know, at first I was thinking, okay, this, what a cute little scene. And then I got to meet Mr. Joe. And you know what? Folks, I, I'm saying as sincerely as I know, his cup runneth over and his saucer too. The spirit of God in this man, this elderly man, that a lot of us would say, okay, it's the twilight and everything is kind of darkened by now. You've had so much loss in your life. There's so many things that, you know, that just didn't go right in your life. In a time that maybe should be the loneliest, this man knew what it was like to be with, you know, looking into the face of God. And one of my most treasured things of all 36, 37 years of ministry, he gave me this Bible. This Bible is um, from 1929 is when he got it. And so this is going on. It's 89 years old now. It's almost 100 years old. I pray that God will help me to keep it intact and, and vibrant and, and, and me be able to use it. Um, I don't use this one on a weekly basis, but since it was given to me every funeral and every wedding, over 500 funerals, over 500 weddings, I've used this. And it's not because there's this superstition or anything like that. I just go, what a gift. And, and so there's times that, that I'm standing before people and I just you know, want to have something of heritage and something of tradition and something of, of yesterday that can go on living to tomorrow. I want to use this. And so I've used this Bible ever since for those special occasions. And I bring it this morning because there's a passage that when we begin to see this in in earnest in verse 5, Mr. Joe, he really characterized what it meant, this little phrase that we see at the end of verse 5, my cup overflows. And, And I thought, as I thought about him, you know, are we able to say that with true sincerity this morning? I mean, we know the right things to say as Christians. We know that if somebody comes up to us on a Sunday morning, and even if we are going through great despair and darkness in our lives, and somebody in the hallway right out here grabbing a note and says, so how was your week, Tracy? We know to say, well, it's been good. It's been good. We know how to be polite. We know how to, uh, you know, not be discouraging. Maybe in private we would take somebody to the side and share a little bit of the darkness or the heartbreak that we've been through. But for the most part, we're not really good at being authentic when it comes to the heaviness of our lives. And some of that we see simply culturally as politeness. Other times we think, well, they don't really care. They were just being polite by saying, Debbie, how are you doing this morning? You know, that it was just one of those southern things that we do. But folks, wouldn't it be amazing if people really were able to come up to you and say how you doing? And you're going, my cup overflows and my saucer too. And that we would be able to say that not just in faith, but that we would be able to say that in reality. And yet what we have opposing that is these believable lies. If you were here two weeks ago and we looked at verse 4, is that Satan tries to feed us believable lies. Now what do we mean by believable lies? It's where he takes truth, 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 and he throws in this curve of a lie there at the end and remember we we're talking about finances maybe we're going through financial difficulty in our lives and so you know uh, the the truth will be we don't have mo- enough money to make it through the end of month and another truth is we don't have savings to draw upon to to pay this bill and so these these are truths but that lie is and somehow God has abandoned you in all of this. They're believable wise. Why are they believable? Because they're they're real things that we have to deal with. See, that's the thing. Anything that we would gather here on a Sunday morning, guys, we can put on our southern niceness. We can put on our Christian niceness. And, and yet, the, the truth is, if we had some kind of a meter that just was on our forehead of sorrow or joy or despair or this, I think we would be amazed at what goes on in the lives of people. In one way, Carly and I are pretty private people. I mean, in one way, I I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I think you see that when I'm preaching. But in another way, there's, you know, things that we just don't share. And it's not because we don't think you care. It's not that, you know, nobody's going to do anything. Some people are private. Some people, people, you don't have to guess, you know. (laughs) They have billboards, you know. (laughs) Here's my troubles. And there's not a rightness and a wrongness to that. That's a personality. There's not a, okay, this is right and this is wrong. It's, it's all of our personalities. A lot of it is the culture that we grew up with and how our parents were. And if our parents were more stoic people and kind of just kept everything to themselves, then we learn that behavior. If our parents were really expressive people and shared everything in the family and family meetings were every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, and you shared all the family's business, then you kind of learn that. It's not a rightness and a wrongness. It's just a kind of a cultural thing that we do, and it's a personality thing. My point is this. Would it be not incredible that by faith, because it wouldn't be able to be this way in circumstances all the time, but that if somebody came up to us that in faith of what Christ has done for us, that we would say my cup overflows and my thoughts are too that we were able to have such an eternal spiritual perspective that it doesn't mean that these other real earthly things went away, but just that the light of Christ was so shining in that, that these other heavy things in our lives, we were able to really express that and do that. To be honest with you, as I would look back on my life, there would have been days that uh, if I was just being 100% honest, there's no way that I could have said that because my eyes were so fixed on the dilemma before me. And why does that happen? It's because I'm like human. And we share in that humanity. And it is easy for us when the darkness comes. So that's why I love in this psalm that David, King David, is writing this. We don't know where in his life he's writing this. Early years, if he's king yet. Uh, we would think maybe based on verse 5 that he's doing it later in his years uh, because I'll make reference in a little bit of, of one of his enemies happens to be one of his sons who's actually coming after him to kill him. And this could be a reference of, that we see there in verse 5. So we don't know where it is, but, but we love verse 1 and 2. We, we love verse 3. We, we love how this shepherding, king, this shepherding uh, nature of God wants to bring us to a place of comfort make us to lay down green pastures and still waters. And yet, remember, two weeks ago, we said that this painter who's painting this psalm changed palettes. Went from greens and blues and yellows and pinks to grays and blacks. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for for, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There was a palette change. There's a tonal change in this psalm, but it's purposeful and it's intentional because God knows what we know. It's not always green pastures, <laughs> and it's not always still waters. And there are some valleys that we have to walk through in a broken world, in an evil world, in a, in a world uh, filled with broken people. And this is really the hope of Psalm 23 folks. That's why I've read Psalm 23 at every funeral that I've ever done. Can't ever remember a time because they are going through a valley. Even if it was a 140-year-old grandma that was so ready to go be with Jesus that she'd been pleading the last year, I just want to go see Jesus, I want to see. Even in those occasions when it's been a full wonderful life are the tragedy of a of a life that we say that was just way too soon that we have this verse 4 even though, even though that there's a comfort there in spite of circumstances that mentality goes on as David kind of changes you know we had a change of the palette colors in verse 4 now we actually have a change in the imagery now not every pastor is going to agree with this I I think the majority of scholars are and this isn't my view because the majority of scholars believe this There are some scholars that would say that the imagery of shepherd continues on in verse 5 and 6. I believe that, that there's a change in imagery. I believe that the thought stays the same, but that David changes because perhaps by now he really is King David, and he's been in that kingdom for quite some time, and he knows the mindset of a king. He also knows the pleasure of the king, the authority of the king when we get to verse 5, I think that the imagery change goes from a providing shepherd to a providing king. Now, let me back that up with Scripture this morning. And you can agree or disagree. The, 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 the meaning of the verse is going to stay the same, whether he's a providing shepherd or providing king. But some of the tonal language that we see there in verse 5, I believe, and many others would believe, that David is now talking about not just a provisional shepherd, but a provisional king with kingly authority and with the ability to give graciously, unlike a shepherd maybe could. I, I would like to know, I don't know if y'all got to ask the question, which one, uh, in the Sunday school lesson this morning that was written for this, the shepherd of the king, which one seems more personal? Did y'all, and the shepherd seems more personal. Which one seems more powerful? The king. And so what David is doing here, he's saying this personality of the shepherd that knows you by name and the power of a king that says, I have actual authority here. So the good thing David doesn't say, okay, you choose which one. He says, no, you're God. He's both. He's shepherd and he's king. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, the first thing, again, that you may notice there, there's no direct connection to uh, our wording that would think king. And so it's one of those things. I have no proof that this is the proper way to interpret, you know, put in a kingly statement here, but I think it flows with the intention, and I think certain words kind of back, uh, back that up. Because when we get to that first phrase, you prepare a table before me, what does this mean? There are some that would say this table if you wanted to maintain the imagery of a shepherd, uh, is what shepherds would call a mesa. It's where you're going out there, and all of a sudden you you come upon a very flat part of land. It's not hills and valleys. It's very flat, and the grass grows well. And the the sheep really like that because on this mesa, this flat land, you can see a long ways, and so you can see if trouble is coming. And so I'm not disagreeing that it could mean that, But what I understand here is what I think the flow is, given the rest of the verse, is that this table is what we would often call a banquet. That that He's preparing a table before us. Um, This is not a a meager meal. This isn't, hey, in my darkest day, when I was really going through a lot of times, God kind of slipped me a happy meal. The vision that we have verse from verse 5, from the wording that's used there, is that this person, whether it's a personification of, of David, and he's just writing of his own things, or if it's us and we're interpreting it for ourselves that, and applying it to ourselves, that, that we're going through these valleys of, of shadows of death, and we're not in fear. Why? Because we know that he's there with us. Even in the darkest of days, we know that He's there, and His rod and His staff they comfort us. And then we come upon this phrase: "You prepare a table before me, folks." This is a banquet table. I mean, have you ever been to a Baptist potluck, (laughs) or a Methodist potluck, or a Presbyterian potluck? I think just you could put in Christian potluck, and basically, you know, you get this imagery. Of everybody in the church bringing some of their favorite you know dishes to the place where you're carrying this plate and you're one third down the line and there's no more room. your plate's already like this. That's a banquet guys. And the imagery that we have here of what David is proclaiming is okay God, in my darkest times when I'm really going through, the valleys of the shadow. And when I'm going through, even this presence of my enemy, my enemy is pressing upon me. You provide a table, a banquet for me. Now, why is that important? It's because David wants us to know that in the midst of the struggle, God is not only aware, but he's a providing God. Remember, we said that the basic shepherd was a provider, protector, and a physician. And now when he kind of makes this imagery of a king, now you have this authority behind it. You know, sometimes there's, have you ever worked with somebody and you went to that person and said, you know, here's something that's kind of I don't like about work or something. And they'll go, okay, I'll see what I can do about it. But, you know, in your heart you're going, okay, I know they're probably going to make an effort, but they don't have the authority to change something unless they go to talk to this person. And then if they come back and say, well, you know, that was a good idea, but, you know, Mr. Smith didn't like it or or whatever. That's a whole different thing if you're able to go. Or if Mr. Smith comes and knocks on your door and goes, hey, heard you had some suggestions about the workplace. All of a sudden you're going, okay, this person is showing interest, but he has authority to do something about it. Like that, he can change the rules. David here wants us to know that in these dark times of our lives, when we're going through challenging times, We have not only a shepherd provider, we have a kingly provider. He has authority over all things. And so there's a confidence that comes. Plus, there's another thing here. We really don't get, we're here in the good old south, folks. And as hospitable as we are, we don't get Middle Eastern hospitality. Hospitality in the Middle East, it's like the number one thing. I mean, you look back in the life of Jesus, and you look, a lot of that teaching was around what? Food and meals. And they would go in there, and they would go around And because it wasn't 15 minutes in, do the dishes, get out of the kitchen. If you were there for a meal, you were there. That was the evening. Like you don't plan anything else. You're not getting back at 9 o'clock to watch Dancing with the Stars. Okay, it's going to be one of those things. If you're there in the Middle East, it is still, to this day, a very big thing. That's where you share your lives. And so when he says, okay, you've made a table before me, this banquet table before me, not only is the authority, but, but imagine this generosity of spirit that comes. How many of you like to be host and hostesses? Carly and I love it. We love having people in the house. Now, let's try to use this word in a in a good way instead of a bad way, because very... Seldom can you ever use the word pride in a good way. Okay, How many of you take pride in being a host or a hostess? I've eaten at your house, I know. Yeah. I go there for a lunch and I think peanut butter and jelly and it's four courses. And you're going, man, I feel like a special guest. And that's what David's saying. Man, in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of these shadows, in the midst of all this heaviness of your life, that here comes this King, this providing King, and He prepares a table before you, and He says, try this. Isn't it amazing that this is the God that has made Himself available to us? Isn't This is the God that loves you and saved you, that provided Jesus Christ. Here, in, in your darkness of time, here, I provide a table before you. says he prepares, prepares this table before us in the presence of our enemies. It's a very important phrase there. It's one of those that, again, this is what may, would make some scholars look back and say, perhaps David is speaking out of his own historical uh, reference there of the time that his son Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom. And he, uh, Absalom and Israel had come against David and they basically ran David out of town and David is having to hide and caves and all other places. When I went to Israel, uh, there was different places and they're going, okay, this is the, uh, uh, the cave of David. Why do they call it the cave of David? Because we think that this is where he hid out during some of that times when he's being pursued by his son. Now, why is it important that, that David would write, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies? He said, so that we can sit there and go, hey, look, enemy, I'm having, you know, fried chicken. Is is it because, you know, that we're mocking? No. I think what it is, that even though the circumstances haven't changed, and yet here's a provision of the authority of the king. We're still, let's be honest, like we said two weeks ago, we're praying, change the circumstances, change the circumstances, change the circumstances. I get that, because I've prayed that prayer many times, and God has said, trust me. Your answer may or may not come in the change of circumstances, but one thing that, that you can know, Bobby, in your heart is that I'm Lord and sovereign over this. This has not escaped me. I know yesterday, I know today, and I know tomorrow, and I know forever. I don't know that God sits there and crosses his arms and gets a frown on his head when we pray for a change of circumstances. I think he understands our feeble state. I think he understands the weakness and the vulnerability and the bent toward you know, sin? And yet, at the same time, the whole gospel is oriented, the whole Bible is oriented toward the truth to take our eyes off of circumstances and to gaze upon the beauty of Christ. You know, let's be honest. Let's just be honest. As spiritual as that sounds, is that hard to do on a daily basis, especially in dark valleys? Yeah. So that's really the thing. This is not a mockery of our... Of our opponents, but it is saying, okay, in the midst of the same circumstances that you find yourself in, the the enemy is still right there. But I'm going to provide for you a banquet right here. You can enjoy a banquet in the midst of the same circumstances. Now he doesn't say that loosely. He he says that I I think based on uh, again maybe perhaps in Second Samuel chapter 17 is uh, in Second Samuel we see the story of David's life. And uh, this is one of those occasions to set this up. David is running from his son Absalom. Absalom is truly trying to kill him and take over the, the, the throne. And in the midst of this, when David is hiding in the wilderness, he's out there hiding in the wilderness in fear of his life. And to make it a million times worse, in fear of his life from his own son these people that used to be David's enemies, they weren't always the friends of David, bring him a banquet. Look what it says. Now, I realize we're ever approaching the 12 o'clock hour. And so, I'm not trying to get your mind on food here, but look what it says. That they brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese from the herd, for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Could this been the response where he comes and says, You make a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, here, here's what faith comes in, guys. When, when, If the enemy was gone, that'd be one thing. But when the enemy is still there, when the problem is still there, the circumstances are still there, whatever it is, this valley that we're going through, when it is still present, it is really hard to, to have faith and, and to, to say, okay, I see you as a supreme God. And yet what David is proclaiming here is, God, you are a providing God. Even in the midst of this heartbreak, you are a providing God. And he's a gracious host. One of the things that we see in the New Testament uh, some of the Old Testament, but we see it a little bit more pronounced as far as just general hospitality, is if you three guys had been out there and I invited you over in my house at Jesus' time, you'd have been walking uh, along the way and you'd be pretty clean because hopefully you had taken a bath maybe a week before or something like that. But as you, we would sit down to have dinner at the table, uh, they reclined this way. The table would have been like this and they would have been sitting on, and laying on the ground. And so one of the things that a host, a proper host, did as you came in, knowing that it is hot, sweaty, kind of that, they would anoint your head with oil. And that's not taking, you know, a, a bottle of Crisco and pouring it over your head. What they would do is it was scented, it was perfumery, uh, you know, perfumed. And, and, and so as you sat down, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be gross here, but have you ever worried about your own body odor? You know, you're, oh man, I, you know, and now you're sitting down with somebody and you're going, man, I just wonder if I stink or not. You know, because maybe you're hot and sweaty and all this. This, a host, a proper host would, look, I, I don't know how far you traveled, but as you come in, let me scent you, you know, you can put this in your hair and you can even rub some on you and you're just going to smell good. And it's not just so that I don't have to smell you, but it's to give you this confidence that you can dine at the table without offense. This is a good host. This is a good host. And David is making that proclamation. Now, there's always also a picture here of consecration. I remember Aaron and the Levites, the, the high priest? This was, they were, would consecrate themselves with oil. This was the, the Old Testament. They would consecrate themselves for oil before they would do their job as the high priest. And nobody else in the whole community had used that oil. It was only for the high priest, for those that carried out. So there's a sense of consecration here. But I'm just telling you my heart, as I would interpret this, and I could be really, really wrong. I think that there is a part of this that is consecrating and that we're consecrated through Christ. I think what David is expressing here, I think David's heart is, man, I have a kingly provider who's a great host. He's just a good host. He brings me into his presence. And he makes me, I mean, this is the work of Christ to make us, if you want to say, presentable before a holy God. So we don't take the gospel out of it. The gospel is the center of it. It's the foundation of it. And yet, how much of this is just that emotional, be able to sit down and enjoy that meal without the thought, am I offensive to somebody else? And then we get to that last part. where well, he begins to say that uh, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I believe that David, as he wrote this, this wasn't just something David goes, man, this would be a great saying. They will make a bumper sticker of this one day. I think David, even, in, it, it, let's take it in historical preference. Uh, Circumstances. Let's say that it really was written in response to a time when your own son wants your life. And can you think of anything more harrowing, anything more heavy in your entire life than when you're being pursued by the enemy and the enemy is your own family? Some of you have experienced a portion of that, of knowing what it's like to, to be at odds with family. And I, it, it's as heartbreaking as anything that we will ever experience on planet Earth. And yet I believe with all my heart as I read this that Dave is making a proclamation of not his circumstances but of his king. God, because of who you are, my cup overflows. As Mr. Joe would say, and my saucer too. See, this is our hope in our life, in our Christian life, guys. We're going to be through valleys. We're going to have mountain peaks. My prayer is that one of the mountain peaks for, for our, our students this week will be at camp. And then they'll come back, and man, they'll be like Moses, that when they get back at them, there's gonna be shining. And we're gonna go, put a you know, put a cover over that. You're shining. Where have you been? I've been with the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> but there's gonna be other days that the palette isn't bright gold and sunshine and greens and blues, and it's gonna be grays and blacks. And David says, My God is still a shepherd, providing shepherd, and he's still a Providing king. And some days, guys, some days, that's all we've got. There won't be another fact, another circumstance that we can line up in the ledger of happiness on this side that we can say, okay, here's a reason of what's happening in my life today to be happy. Boom, boom, boom. You know this old song, "Count your many blessings, name them one and one." I I believe that song, but there's going to be some days in our lives, and some periods of our lives, when it just doesn't seem like we can make a long list. And yet, there will be one thing that we can put on this side of the ledger that is sufficient. That my God knows me, that He is a providing Shepherd and He's a providing King. He's the king of all eternity. He's the authority over all things. And he knows my name, and he prepares a banquet before me. Even in the presence of my current circumstances and my current enemies, this is my God. My cup overflows. This is our hope. And so on those days, don't, 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 don't berate yourself. Don't, don't you know, punish yourself on those days that you're really challenged that you can't quite muster, my cup overflows. But on those days, guys, know that it's truth. Even though Satan would be giving you believable lie after believable lie after believable lie, you cling and you clench to the truth and you gaze upon the beauty of Christ and you gaze upon the authority of this king and you say, God, even now, in the midst of all this, thank you, you have provided a banquet for your child. This is what I, I believe that Paul kind of would, would reference in, in, in the New Testament. When he said, again, my paraphrase, <laughs> hey, if God didn't do anything else for me, the fact that he saved me, I am the most blessed of all men. When he talks about every spiritual blessing, I'm taking a lot of liberty with that. But, but basically, I, I think that's, that was the heartbeat of Paul. Because think about it. Shipwrecked, abandoned, tortured, jailed. I mean, Paul, this cornerstone of the New Testament that God used in miraculous way, this wasn't a fun life. And yet he said, man, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. What was he saying? Oh, my circumstances are perfect. What he's saying, my cup overflows and my saucer too because of Christ. And Paul was able to see something that David could only see by faith. And then we'll close. But don't miss this. Paul was able to see that Christ was the cup. I could preach a whole nother sermon on that, of just the, the beauty of that illustration. Paul knew what David believed in faith. And Paul could say, Not only does my cup overflow, but I know who my cup is. My cup is Jesus Christ. And this is my hope. And this is my salvation. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we we thank you that uh, Psalms 23 is is a, a, a chapter of reality, it's a psalm of reality. And Father, we love verse 1, 2, and 3. Father, we love this shepherding provider. And yet, Father, thank you that that you led David to write verse 4 and 5. Because life isn't always green pastures. And life isn't always still waters. And yet, Father, you come back and the circumstances change. And all of a sudden there's dark valleys and And there's the presence of enemies. And yet, Father, we see the words of David that you inspired him to write, your word, that you are still the same. You prepare a table in the presence of our enemies, a banquet for us. You're a gracious host, you're a giving host. You anoint our head with oil, you make us feel welcomed. You consecrate it with the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, Father, all we know how to say when we hear these words, no matter what's going on in our life, Father, we can, I believe, earnestly say, as we focus on this, this morning, what you've done through Jesus Christ, Father, I think we can say in all sincerity, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. We thank you for Christ. We rejoice in him. We turn to him. And now, Father, if our gaze has been taken off of him because of the circumstances, the heaviness and the valleys of this week, Father, we pray, will you in this time that we reflect upon, we sing this song of reflection, will you help return our eyes to gaze upon the beauty of our Redeemer. We love you and we thank you as we pray all this in the blessed hope of Christ. Amen.